0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
1: 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. Choose a Breakfast pays respect to Elders, past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. Radio, radio
0: this is 3CR Breakfast. Oh,
2: yay.
0: Alternative News, Analysis Clap and Current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am oh, until 8.30am.
2: Only double. Clap your
3: Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast, um, no, good morning, welcome to Tuesday Breakfast, you're listening to 3CR Community Radio with myself, Ayan, and we have George.
1: Good morning. It's just... It's a quiet room today. It's a very quiet
3: room. I don't know if you can pick up on that, listeners, but <laughs> Lauren isn't here and Anya is on holidays, but she will be back in two weeks' time.
1: mm Yeah, so a lot of changes happening at Tuesday breakfast, I guess.
3: We might have a new voice as well um, coming in to uh, fill up the spot for myself and Lauren. Um, Two new people, actually. Or maybe just one. One is enough. (laughs) You don't need more than three people. To fill everybody's shoes. Oh, everybody's shoes. Yeah. Mm. Good point, good point. Mm. So we have some exciting interviews today. Um, First up, we have an interview that George is doing.
1: Yes, I'll be talking to Abdul, who is a RISE member, director and ex-detainee, and we'll be chatting about the student walkout that is an event RISE is organising, which will be held on the 6th of March in solidarity with uh, political prisoners in offshore detention. Mm. And then after that, I will be speaking with Kirley Bailey about the Melbourne Queer Film Festival coming up and their uh, little short film that's going to be featured, which is called Great Again. So I'm really excited to chat about that. I
3: can't wait to hear about it. And also, check it out. Um, At 8 o'clock, we have an interview with Chris Pavlidis. Chris Pavlidis is the chairperson of Ethnic Communities Council of Victoria, and she'll be in to chat to us about citizenship applications. Why are they taking forever, and what are the consequences of their lengthy delays? And then at 8.15, we will be chatting to Hamil Ibrahim, um, who will help us make sense of the case with Hoda Mutana, um, an American citizen who um, went to ISIS um, and now wants to come back home. And so we're going to look at what issues are at play the gender issues, the race issue, and how do these issues impact the way society views her and views her victimhood and her, yeah, and, and just Hamil will be into, make sense of all that. Um, but right now we have news headlines. Yes. Um, a lot of things have happened during the week. A yes. lot of interesting things and a lot of not so interesting <laughs>
1: Well, hopefully these are the important (laughs) news stories of the week. So, firstly, an inquest is currently being held into the death of Iranian refugee Omid Masumali, who set himself on fire in 2016. Sorry, apologies, I should have said trigger warnings. A lot of these uh, news headlines contain uh, stories of death and violence, and um, we'll put some numbers at the end of this um, segment. His wife has been the first person to give evidence at the inquest and has been using the pseudonym Parry. Both Parry and have been living had been living on Nauru for over three years. Parry told the court that Amir had become angry uh, following a conversation Parry had had with UN officials. The inquest will be investigating the reasons for his death, including the delaying of his medical treatment for over 24 hours after the incident. Despite widespread condemnation of the Herald Sun's cartoon depiction of Serena Williams as both racist and sexist, um, the Australian watchdog has ruled that uh, it isn't actually (laughs) either of those things, Um, and the Guardian has reported that the media watchdog said cartoonists used exaggeration and absurdity to make a point and accepted the paper's claim that it did not depict Williams as an ape, but rather as spitting the dummy. And in quotation marks, a non-racist caricature familiar to most Australian readers. End quote. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's interesting. Um, familiar to most Australian
3: readers. Um, what does that say about Australia? I'd be curious to know. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. And I guess we've seen the international condemnation of the cartoon, with a lot of people coming right. out and saying this is not okay. So absolutely it seems to be out of step with what a lot of
3: yeah. people are arguing. It's very much an Australian thing to say that wasn't our intention. We weren't intending to be racist. No one Mm. intends to be racist, especially if you're in a position like that. You don't want to get caught out being racist. So the next question to ask would be about unconscious bias. You know, is it possible to depict a racist image without even knowing, you know, because you've got all these years of conditioning and so on?
1: Yeah, totally. And then what does it mean to be held accountable to that and take responsibility? (sighs) Clearly not happening in this case, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, and then this is taken from Al Jazeera. Uh, at least two people have been killed in violent protests as President Maduro uh, serves diplomatic ties with Colombia over Guido support. Troops loyal to Maduro fired tear gas and rounds of rubber bullets on Saturday at protesters who tried to bring boxes of U.S.-supplied aid across the border, wounding dozens. Venezuelan opposition leader Juan Guido who is supported by Washington, backed the efforts to import the aid, saying hundreds of thousands of people are in urgent need of food and medicine. Maduro sees the aid as part of a US plot to remove him from power. Mm -hmm. And lastly, the chief executive of the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service has resigned following detailed accusations of sexual violence made by four women against him earlier this month. Uh, This article has been taken from SBS. Mm -hmm. Um, Wayne Muir has been chief executive of the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service since 2011. His resignation was announced on Thursday by the organisation's board of directors. And this has followed a a broadcast on ABC's 7.30 program, featuring detailed allegations from four women, which include rape, indecent assault and sexual harassment. The the incidents uh, were alleged to have taken place between 1987 and 2003, sorry. And Mr. Muir apologised to one of the women for sexual harassment but denied the allegations, describing them as false and defamatory. Um, So some numbers following this segment. If um, anything uh, from this has caused um, any issues for you, you can call the Sexual Assault Crisis Line on 1-800-806-292 and also you can call Lifeline on 13-11-14. Thank you for that. I've actually
3: seen that ABC documentary. Um, it oh, was, really? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very heavy. And one of the women, she's a woman now, who accused him. Um, she was a child then, and it's actually a family member. So, um, a family member of his? Yeah, a family member of his. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's pretty heavy. But it's interesting to see the um, just the pressures of not just speaking out, but speaking out from a community there's already like negative mm. reporting about that community so it's sort of like do i want to add to that mm. like imagine that weighing on your decision to to go to police and, yep. and and so on so um let's get let's let's go somewhere light let's get some music before we hear um, george's interview the song we're about to play is called pretty by barrow who is a local melbourne artist mm.
4: Music Festival, back for two weeks this March, featuring International acts Flohio, Jay Mascus, and Snail Mail, plus an epic local contingent including Jazz Party, The next A Swayze and the Ghosts, The Murlocs, Tando, Jade Imagine, Sophie Grofie, Genesis Owusu, Beck Sandridge, Hextet and so much more. For the full program and tickets, head to brunswickmusicfestival.com.au. Brunswick Music Festival is a 3CR supporter. Marxism
5: 2019 is Australia's biggest socialist conference, taking place this Easter long weekend from April the 18th to the 21st in Melbourne. Marxism 2019 features international and local guest speakers, including award-winning author and activist, Baruz Bichani. Join over 1,000 activists for crucial discussions on how to resist the rise of the right and rebuild the left. With more than 100 sessions, tickets start at just $35 and are available at marxismconference.org. A 3CR supporter. Have you
0: heard about the Melbourne International Electric Vehicle Expo? Find out what's happening with electric cars, bikes, skateboards, scooters, trucks and more. The event is being held at the Melbourne International Karting Complex in Todd Road, Port Melbourne, on Saturday, March 16th. Come along and experience what it's like to drive or ride an electric vehicle. Attend focus seminars and tech talks. To find out more, go to evexpo.org.au or find us on Facebook. The Melbourne
3: Electric Vehicle Expo is a 3CR supporter.
0: Transition's Film Festival returns to Cinema Nova this February with a selection of cutting-edge documentaries about what it means to be human. Featuring local and international documentaries, the festival covers social and technological innovations, big ideas and changemakers leading the way to a better world. Themes include art, activism, climate change, food revolutions, artificial intelligence and the future of our planet. Transitions Film Festival, February the 21st to March the 8th at Cinema Nova. Tickets from transitionsfilmfestival.com. A 3CR supporter. The
2: landlord is coming. The landlord is coming. The
3: Do you want more hag in your life? The Housing for the Age Action Group show is changing time slot and will be coming to you twice a month from 5.30 to 6 o'clock on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month here on 3CR.
6: That means twice as much news and information about older people's housing issues, including public housing, tenants' rights,
3: housing activism,
6: retirement villages and caravan parks, elder abuse and family violence, aged care, welfare rights, the cost of living,
3: And housing issues for older people with disabilities... From
6: culturally diverse backgrounds... LGBTI elders...
3: And other groups in the community.
6: And we'll be hearing from the real experts on older people's housing... Older older people people themselves.
4: themselves. So tune in for The Hag Show, 5.30 to 6 on the 2nd and 4th Wednesday of the month, starting March 13th, here on 3CR.
3: Welcome back. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast. Um, The songs that you heard played were the first song was by barrow who is a local artist b-a-r-o and the song was
1: called pretty and then after that we heard a song by p unique called change and then so we we are having an interview with abdul but i think um we might have mixed up our times a little bit so he's um he's going to be ready for us in a couple of minutes so we're just going to pay, play a few CSAs and then we'll be ready with the interview
4: let the mythical Tarantula bite you at the 2019 Taranta Festival. Five days of Southern Italian and Mediterranean music, food and culture from March 13 to 17. Including the exclusive Melbourne concert by the 2018 Song Alliance Music Awards Best Group in the World. Conzerniere Grecanico Salentino. Direct from Italy via Womadlow. At the Thornby Theatre, Friday, March 15. The festival includes talks, workshops, concerts and parties. For information and tickets, visit tarantafestival.com.au Presented by Devella, 3CR Sports.
3: Camp Anarchy is on over the long weekend, March 9th to 11th at Camp Eureka in Yarra Junction. The aim is to bring anarchists, families, friends and those interested together come share ideas skills food music and laughter there is a bunch of radical workshops and skill shares over the weekend check out our website campanarchy.org or contact us on info at campanarchy.org or via the anarchist events facebook page Camp
2: Anarchy is a 3CR supporter.
1: You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. Apologies for that little uh, break that we've just had. We just had some technical difficulties, but hopefully we will be able to go ahead with this interview now. On the line we have Abdul Baig, who is a RISE member and director and ex-detainee. RISE refugees, survivors and ex-detainees is the first welfare and advocacy organisation governed entirely by ex-detainees, asylum seekers and refugees in Australia. He joins us on the line to discuss Australia's oppressive detention system and RISE's upcoming event, the Student Walkout. Thank you very much for making time to speak to us this morning, Abdul.
7: Well, thank you very much, and good morning to (laughs) you, and good morning to everyone um, you're listening. (laughs) Uh, I would start saying that I pay my respect to the traditional owners, custodians and elders, past and present, of the Kulin Nation, and acknowledge that I meet and work on their land that has never been ceded. Mm Let's, let's start anything you want.
1: To yeah, say. great. Um, perhaps let's start by just... I thought we could start by just talking about the Sanction Australia campaign that RISE has been kind of in charge of for some time now. Can you tell us about that?
7: Yeah, exactly. Um, it, look, um, it, it, it sprung out of, um, you know, the nations um, or so the countries. They are in breach to the international law or the international treaties or the agreements. They are placed on sanctions by the powerful countries. Uh, Most probably what we see is this, that when a powerful group of companies, nations, particularly uh, the white nations, I would say that if um, they have to bully some country or, you know, they have to remove um, a regime or or if if, if someone is not uh, um, uh, listening or accepting their, their way, so they put sanctions on them um australia for us you know as as ex-detainees and refugees coming into australia since 1992. uh since it's the inception of um uh, mandatory detention policy that was then mandatory detention policy um there are thousands and thousands of asylum seekers have put through to these punitive um places um, and for years the incarceration of big years uh a lot of people have died uh, i mean if we put together there uh, are more than twenty five people have um, died in detention centers uh, there are irrevocable um, uh, psychological and um, no, physical um, uh, damages to to our community of the people who they go through detention uh, it is, there are reports after reports uh, that Clearly, uh, the proof, it proves uh, that there are um, asylum seekers. They uh, they are sexually abused, and um, and and then again, you put them back into those same very places where they keep on getting sexually abused. I mean, uh, these these are the crimes which are unheard of. The proportion of these uh, these crimes are unacceptable, and we believe that we should demand that Australia should be put on um, uh, sanctions for the violation of Australia. is still a member and and a signatory to that treaty, which is a refugee treaty um, of 1951. Um, Still a member, and if I invite everyone, your listener, these are a few pages to download from Google, you know, that treaty and read that. What mm. kind of obligations um, a signatory country has for the people who they arrive uh, looking for safety.
2: Yeah. And
7: uh, by the way, going there, looking for safety, Australia is an active member into bloody wars which pushes people out of their countries, which kills people in their countries and injures people in their countries. And we... We'd we bomb those countries to the stone age. Now, if you dare to see the the, the images of Afghanistan, images of uh, Iraq, images of uh, Libya, images of Syria, images of Iraq, uh, and other countries, um, parts of Pakistan as well. So, you know, and then there is no responsibility is is. Is born. No responsibility has been taken for all those damages. Mm. So, this is, this is the base of our demand for sanctioning Australia because Australia is in breach of so many conventions of the United Nations and so many agreements and treaties Australia significantly to. That's, that's where we have. I mean, if, if anybody wants to go to the RISE um, website, they can see that, that we worked out. Uh, for a long time we were writing a little bits and pieces and we write on some 10 demands, I think, why Australia should be sanctioned.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
7: that's, that's where we started the Sanction Australia campaign. And um, so hopefully one day uh, uh, there will be uh, people with um, common sense, people with heart, and they'll be looking for some, Voices and some records, so this will be in record. that
2: yeah, of
7: People who wanted uh, uh, common sense to be prevailed and the people who they committed crimes should be held responsible, even if it means to straight the record of history. Yeah.
1: yeah, and it's definitely a powerful language to use And to call out that hypocrisy um, well, And we've, we've seen recently with the Medivac Bill A strong focus on advocating for only refugees in detention Who are really unwell to be relocated to Australia To receive medical attention What's Rise's position on pushing for only some people in detention To be able to come to Australia?
7: Well, thank you very much for asking that question uh, I only want to divert attention of your listeners and you. Uh, not much. Um, they started saying that we detain people. If you just go back to um, John Howard era, uh, then there's an evil man, Mr. Um, Philip Roddick and Amanda Vanstone, and everyone uh assessing him after that. They say that we detain people for um, their um, security and health assessment. Um, this, is, this, is, this is, if you go back like early 2000, uh, this is what the language was, that we, we don't like detaining people. We detain people because they're coming from far away countries. We don't know who they are, whether they are Taliban or they are Al-Qaeda or these kind of things. So we need to assess so that when they're released into the community, our community is safe and sound without any danger. Or they're coming from the countries where are, there are horrible diseases, so that they may not spread those diseases. This was the, 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 the plea. This was the lure. They used to say that this is why we, we detain people. And they are only there just for the confirmation of their safe uh, security, uh, or no, their, their identity and then the safety, whether they are safe to be released. Well, then nobody talks about this now. I mean, we, uh, the, the, the ex detainees, the people detained, asylum seekers, keep on yelling, saying that no, what they say that, you know, we are processing people, that word is, is a shame word. It, 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 it doesn't have that meaning. And now we know no politician speaks about this that we detain people for processing. Because they know that most of the people that detain are already confirmed uh, asylum seekers. Now everybody says that we are holding them. We are holding them as as, as to, to, to ransom. They are kind of like political prisoners. We are holding them in detention because their relatives, their friends, the people who they are waiting in Indonesia, Malaysia, or third countries, if we release them in communities, that will send them um, a clear message that, oh, the doors are open, now let's rush to Australia. Well, this is, this is what it is. The, the, the idea of Native rich, uh, is amazing. And there are some uh, wonderful, beautiful human beings. They get together and they started this bill that, all right, let's evacuate people who they are sick. Now, see this uh, good-for-nothing, a visionless, a thug prime minister who couldn't get it this bill undone in the parliament or in the Senate. He said, all right, now, There is a way open for them to come to Australia. Okay, what we do, we instead of that, open a Christmas island Hmm. and put them there. So this is undoing that medieval. They know that the people who they are detained are so sick that anybody who has independent assessment, um, um, you know, medical assessment, they'll be assessed as... Sick people, very sick people. This is not the first, uh, first time, you know, that they will be assessed. Uh, in, in 2000, uh, mid-2000, 2002, um, there was a um, United Nations Human Rights uh, Commission of the people. They came and they visited all detention centers. So obviously, we were writing and asking friends to write to them. And when they come, you know, I did question them. I was um, elected representative of refugees, and I did ask them, what took you so long? You know, you, you want us to all die, and then you will come and they, their answer was that we have been trying to get visa with the permission that we will visit detention centers for two years. Mm. You know, the people from United Nations were not allowed for two years. These were their words, you know.
2: Yeah.
7: Uh, quote-unquote, you know, um, it's nothing, I say. But uh, then we know the next, uh, when they released their uh, report, the report was condemning Australia, saying that all detention centres of detainees they found were in a gross depression. These these were the words. And, you know, the Philip Radek in the Parliament, after the release of the report, was jumping up and down and saying that these, um, Bureaucrats from Europe will come and dictate us what to do, what not to do. So this is, this is another case that, you know, that, that the Australia should be, you know, sanctioned, warned, and told that if you are a signatory to mm. treaties, either have little shame, little, little strength. Get out of those bloody treaties. If you can't honor your treaties, get out of those treaties unless doing everything against them, and then still a member of those treaties saying, oh, we are good international citizens. Australia uh, so has no shame, you know. We, yeah. we, we sit, sit on, um, on uh, human rights commissions in the United Nations. And, and, and look, at, look at this. You know, look at the First Nations. Look at the real owners of this land. The kind of treatment, the kind of, you know, assessment, the kind of reports are about them. And look at look at the people who they come looking for, already traumatized people, running away from the bloody wars and, and the deaths, and, you know, and then, then they come here. We subject them, we subject them to years of incarceration. When we go, when we reach to courts, the courts will interpret only the law, and the law says, all right, this is legal to detain people, even if that means that they will have to spend their natural life behind bars, Mm. of what kind of a humanitarian, what kind of a shameless country we are. You know, the people fleeing persecution, people fleeing trauma, people have, God knows, you know, how many rapes took place to the people who they were in a place in 3rd country before they come here. And then we put them in a position where they will have... um, would be raped every day, and, and then there are reports, you know, the videos, the, the movies, recordings of the detention centers, that these are the places. We cannot stop them, but these people, those girls, little children will have to go back to those very bloody places where they get raped every day. So how many raves, how many deaths, how many miseries do we want to have on our, on our chest mm. as badge of honor mm. or a badge of shame? These are all bloody crimes. You know, why? Rise, rise only stands up for those kind of things, and we, we are not ashamed of, of questioning. Yeah. No detention for one day. You know, before 1992, asylum seekers, refugees were coming to Australia. The sky didn't fall then. Yeah. And, and, and if sky falls. Stop being a participant of those war machines which create refugees in millions. And by the way, we don't receive many refugees. You know, I'm from Pakistan and we still have uh, more than one million refugees in Pakistan,
2: you know, in Kent
7: or or the areas they are allowed. We don't have uh, detention centers. And there are more than... 3 million refugees neutralised
1: as, as
2: the
7: national of Pakistan. Mm. Unbelievable kind of hypocrisy we see
1: there in this country. Yeah, and Abdul, I mean, we could certainly talk about Australia's human rights violations for a very long time, and it is clearly so important that RISE does this work to call attention to this stuff. Um, let's quickly touch on the student walkout before we wrap up this interview. So tell us a little bit about it. It's on March the 6th.
7: Yeah, students walk out, and we are called uh, for students to walk out of uh, the educational institution um, is, is to is to again plead with the people who have heart. Uh, the students have done um, a wonderful uh, protest in the past um, for the human rights. Thing. We we are requesting again to students and uh, all other uh, like-minded places to don't want to see um, the crimes taking place uh, to to the vulnerable people, the most vulnerable and voiceless people who they are detained and totally on the mercy of the government, that you know, enough is enough. Stop incarceration people. How many deaths and rapes and how many preventable deaths uh, could be prevented if if um, you know, the government could be pressurized.
2: Mm. If,
7: if the government could be shown their real face, and the people who they face the consequences because they want to attract votes. Um, mm. of, of, yeah, we are strong on borders. Everybody knows that uh, the boats have been turned around No people are coming to Australia. No uh, new arrivals have come to Australia. For God's sake.
1: Yeah. And so I guess that's why you've got the two minutes of silence there as well um, uh, for those who have survived and for those who have lost their lives in Australian detention centres. And how can people learn more about this event and get involved and also learn more about RISE?
7: Well, please visit um, um, riserefugees.org website and please support us. We are the only organisation established and run by ex detainees and refugees we, are, we have no uh, funding from the parasites of the government or the government directly. We, we are run by, uh, you know, the, the, the generosity of ordinary people. Uh, and please come behind us. And um, uh, all the students, I request, everybody who listens, and all the parents, all the, all the great people who listen to this, please come and support us. Stand behind us and ask these questions from um, your members and the people who they are in power and the government.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today, Abdul.
7: Thank you very much. You have a lovely day. You
1: too. That was Abdul Baig, who is a RISE member, director and ex-detainee. If anything from that segment caused you any sort of distress, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14.
0: We love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're 100% cotton and Australian made and you can get one for just $30. They come in black, dark grey and a cool light grey. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 9419
6: 8377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au shop. Come on, you know you want one.
1: You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. We've just had a couple of beautiful Sam Cooke songs this morning, which has been delightful. A Change Is Gonna Come and the other track we played, I believe, was called Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen. So, we have the pleasure of being joined in the studio by Lee Bailey, who is an award-winning screenwriter and director. In 2018, they won the Emerging Filmmaker Award at Melbourne Queer Film Festival, And they join us today to discuss their short film, Great Again, which will be showing at the Melbourne Queer Film Festival this March. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, George. So, I thought we'd just start off just by learning a little bit about you. Like, what got you into filmmaking? Uh, Yeah. Uh,
5: So, I took photos a lot growing up, and, um, like, maybe my mid-20s, I was kind of, I felt like I wanted to, uh, I guess, maybe move into something that was a little bit more um, to do with narrative storytelling. Um, So I started doing film. Uh, I think I wanted to be uh, Sophia Coppola. Yeah, Maybe that's changed, but um, that's kind of what got me going. And um, I don't know, I think since then I've found film to be quite um, an amazing way to understand more about yourself and more about the world, and uh, that can be really valuable. So, yeah. Film's great.
1: Yeah, and I guess um, that leads into my next question about why themes concerning queerness, belief and identity are important for you and why they're important to represent on screen as well. Yeah,
5: um, I was actually at um, Melbourne Queer Film Festival two years ago um, where I saw like a lot of films (laughs) Um, and when I was seeing all the films I I felt really drawn to particular ones and they were all about people who are queer or are in the LGBTQIA plus community um, who um, come from like working class backgrounds or conservative families or live in a social context that otherwise doesn't necessarily accept who they are or support who they are straight straight away. Because um, that's been my own experience, and so I've I kind of from that experience started writing some work that was a bit more personal. Um, so... Yeah, I think those those themes are important to me personally, and um, also really like making work about people who aren't cisgender, um, who are non-binary, and what that looks like, like how they move in the world, their relationships. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's so powerful for queers to get to see queer characters on screen and kind of identify with those experiences. Totally, it means so much to see that.
5: It it yeah. does, yeah. It feels really nice when you can when you see a character on screen and you're just like. It's quite affirming, yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about your short film, Great Mm -hmm. Again. Yep. Can you give us a little, (laughs) without giving too much away, obviously, because people should go and see it. Yes. But um, what can you tell us about it?
5: Yeah, so um, Great Again is a six-minute short. Um, uh, It stars Verity Higgins and um, Molly Lucan. Um, so it's about a non-binary person like, who's like maybe 25 who visits their conservative family in regional Australia um, and um, sort of in the process discovers that their mum um, is a Trump supporter, like a local Trump supporter. Um, it's kind of set in the era just shortly after Donald Trump was elected in 2016. Um, and so it's kind of about um, this person having to navigate, the, I think, what's the increasing divide between left and right um, played out in, I think, one of the more important relationships that we have in our lives, which is a relationship with our parents. Mm. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I had the pleasure of being able to watch it oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. and I thought it was fantastic and I love Thank the way you. that it, um, it is about, you know... The character's identity, but then also the broader political issues that are going on, and, and how they're navigating that in the family dynamic. So I Thanks. think it perfectly shows that in six minutes. Wow, My only beef you. with it is that it's too short. I yeah. just love to, I, like, after it, I was like, I want to learn more about the characters and see what, see how that unfolds. But um, I guess yeah. that's the thing with short short films, I suppose. Yeah, I. Pretty much
5: everyone says that. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone says, I wanted it to be longer. So obviously I need to make long content. Yes. Yeah. Yeah,
1: That's the next step, clearly. (laughs) Um, And what was the inspiration for the film? Um, Yeah. So
5: I think in, like, 2016, the election Donald Trump was quite disruptive. Um, It wasn't necessarily shocking in the fact that he was elected. It was just more um, shocking in how it... um, Disrupted and changed a lot of relationships in my own life, um, and so I think that was I really wanted to capture something that really um, wanted to capture the the grief and um, the, like the bad time that that was. I think I have a lot more hope now since mm. then, but at the time it was quite devastating. So I think um, I really wanted just to make something that captured that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when it's something that you feel and relates to like a, a real experience, it, it comes across very genuinely, I think. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, is it similar to other films that you've worked on, or are working on? Uh, yeah, it's actually
5: one of the... It's like the first film that I've made that I've, I would consider to be, like, personal. Um, and I've sent some another short film, uh, which I made uh, last year as part of my honours at VCA, in film and TV, um, called Kids on Fire. Um, which is also about someone who um, is from like, a working-class background who um, is non-cisgender and is navigating their queerness, their identity, their relationship with their family. So uh, yeah, it's a um, it's a hot topic.
1: Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's, sorry, is that a short
5: film as well? Sorry, yeah, it's a short film. Okay. Yeah, it's a, I think it's a seven minute twenty one short film. Oh,
1: an extra minute in there. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's we go. good. One minute <laughs> every up. year.
5: I make a feature by the time I'm fifty. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> perfect. Cool.
1: Okay, so that's not out yet, so we can look forward to that. Um, that's yeah. not out that yet. it's in
5: consideration for a couple of local festivals. Yeah. Um, and TBC. On
1: the, yeah. Awesome. So let's talk about Melbourne Queer Film Festivals. Yes. When's it coming up? I'm so excited. I oh, had a yeah. little look at the program yesterday. Yeah, it's great.
5: Yeah, yeah definitely. So it's on from March um, the 14th to the 25th, which I calculated is only 17 sleeps away. Wow. So there you go. <laughs> count, counting down. Um, so you can go to um, mqff.com.au and get tickets. Um, the Australian Shorts and Awards is on the last weekend, on the 24th of March, at 5.15 at mm-hmm. Um I also recommend seeing Rafiki, um, I've seen that. It's beautiful. It was my myth pick yeah. last year. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful film. Um, and I don't really want to give too much away, okay. but it's like, it's good. Yeah. I also <laughs> recommend um, queer, na- queer First Nation shorts, which I think, okay. to my knowledge, is the first time there's a program um, like that in the festival. Um, so I'm definitely going to get there. There's actually a 60-minute film in that, which is, wow. you know, good, high content. Yeah. Um, there's also a few other, like beautiful things, which I've really appreciated over the years at um, MQIF, the Transformations Program, which is about trans people. Um, the Wildings Program is back this year, which I am thrilled about. Um, I loved it in 2016, 20, mm, 2017. What is so that one? Wildings is like, I don't know. I don't know what the official description is, so I might get this wrong, mm-hmm. but I see this kind of like the slightly more grungy content. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like...
5: At Wardings two years ago, um, I, like, had the, like, wild pleasure of meeting, like, Justin Shoulder and Benji Ra, and they gave an incredible talk, and so, about their filmmaking. It's kind of a little bit more like art films as well. Mm -hmm. Like, they program, like, there was, like, a beautiful shot by Tonga Tam, and, God, it was just amazing. Yeah.
1: Wow. Okay, so there's so much stuff to go and see. Yeah, 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 definitely. Super exciting. Yeah. Um, and so so you already said the dates, didn't you? So it was 17 fleets oh, yes. away, yes. a bit later in March. Yep. You can book tickets all online. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, George. Really thank you. <laughs> okay,
8: great. 3CR are selling Kafir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine.
0: In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday.
6: Years in the making, radical radio celebrating 40 years of 3CR is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station.
0: At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just $30. You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy or online at 3CR.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history on sale for just $30. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Tune in, dig deep and clean up by purchasing some fantastic discounted gardening books from 3CR's online garden store. We have books on water-wise gardening, organic vegetables, roses, climbers and creepers and even clematis. It's easy. Just go to our website, 3cr.org.au, and follow the links on the front page. Don't have internet access? Call the station during business hours between 9 and 5, and we'll post out a catalogue in the mail. All proceeds help keep Melbourne's favourite gardening show on air for another year. Tune in 7.30am every Sunday morning. The is a community radio licence holder. What you hear on community radio is governed by the community radio codes of practice. The codes of practice cover matters relating to program content, including local content, news, current affairs, Australian music, programs for children and the responsibilities associated with broadcasting by and for the community. They also cover aspects such as community access and participation in the operation of this station. Copies of the code are available from the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash who we are.
2: Great Voices CDs on 3CR. These CDs are a unique collection.
8: Now you can go to 3cr.org.au and you can order online all the 20... Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours.
0: If you share the growing concern about racism, fascism and the move to the extreme right, Come along to our forum on a Bill of Rights for Australia
5: on Sunday the 17th of March at the Unitarian Church, 110 Grey Street, East Melbourne, commencing at 11am. Speakers include Professor Gillian
0: Triggs, Professor Rob Watts, Julian Burnside, QC and the Human Rights Law Centre. RSVP to admin at melbourneunitarian.org.au Our democratic rights are under threat. If you care, be there. The Melbourne Unitarian Peace Memorial Church is a 3CR supporter.
3: Welcome back. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. The time is 8.08 and our interview at the moment um, is with Chris Pavlidis, Chairperson of Ethnic Communities Council of Victoria. Chris will help us make sense of the citizen application in particular, why does it take so damn long? Thank you so much for coming on 3CR, Chris.
6: Makes sense of it, but I'll try. <laughs>
3: yeah, well, I mean, we can definitely certainly try. Um, before we look at the process, um, the delays at the moment, in an ideal world, what is the standard time? Um, okay. Look,
6: if you don't mind, if I can backtrack a little bit and just give it a bit of a context. Mm-hmm. And um, as we may know, um, this is a federal government um, mandate. So the processing, and the application of citizenship sits under the remit of the federal government. Now, as we know, over the last four years, this is where we've seen um, overt changes and erratic changes um, through the uh, different Prime minister, We've probably had three Prime Ministers in the last four years with the Liberal government and the most recent Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, um, and the changes that uh, he has been uh, suggesting in terms of the testing for eligibility of citizenship um uh, conferring. So I think it's important for people to remember it's a federal government issue um, and then with citizenship what that um, means for people, for individuals, for prospective residents. Mm-hmm. Um, it means, you know, um, the ease of um, gaining um, uh, employment, um, of housing, of um, educational opportunities mm-hmm. and effectively the ability to um, I suppose contribute to the society, the community that a person and a family is part of mm. and um, have a sense of belonging. So these are very important core values that, you know, we all aspire to as residents, uh, as civilians. And in, within that context, that gives great meaning to citizenship and why people uh, are seeking and applying uh, for citizenship. Now, to go back to your question, uh, how, what is the usual time frame. Mm. So normally uh, the requirement is four years residency. So you need to be living uh, in Australia for four years before mm. you can apply to uh, have citizenship conferred. We're finding that the increasing uh, waiting time means that individuals are waiting for up to six and a half years And this is information and data that's coming to us Mm. at the grassroots level through NGOs, so non-government organisations, who are often at the coalface of the issue uh, as it confronts individuals and what it means for them. So Mm. six and a half years is a long time to be waiting. (laughs) That is
3: a long time, especially if you're like applying for housing and jobs. So it's not like people are just waiting and sitting idly by. Their quality of life is
6: being affected as they wait. Absolutely. And with the Ethnic Communities Council of Victoria as the peak advocacy group, uh, one of our main concerns and um, objectives is to advocate for people's right and opportunity to be able to settle effectively and integrate into the overall community. And that means to be able to be gainfully employed um, and have access to information, so you make mm. informed decisions about how you do settle and mm. integrate. So that's why it's a, a real priority concern for the ECCV. And um, when we look at these timeframes, and as you said before, it, of course it impacts on the very basic vital mm. uh, factors that enable effective and successful settlement into a community. Mm.
3: And I'm sure the issue is really complicated and there's many people who are responsible for the backlog, uh, backlog, but what are some of the reasons that it's taking so long?
6: Yeah, well, you know, it begs the question how complicated is it? I mean, <laughs> if we're, I think, you know, we, where Australia is... Um, in a, in a privileged position in many respects, mm-hmm. um, to and we're part of the UN uh, obligation to welcome people, particularly people of refugee background. So if we're saying we welcome you into our um, country, um, that needs to be translated into the way we uh, make available the uh, processes to people that means giving them proper information so that they, when they're submitting their application for citizenship they know of all the documentation that is required and they come prepared so that's one of the reasons it's coming back they're saying that people are not lodging their applications with all of the relevant information there are other issues that are surfacing where people um, within the bureaucracy are saying there's an increasing number of applicants um, there's extra time that's required for more stringent security checking because a large number of the applications uh, are coming from people on humanitarian visas mm. and um, it's been demonstrated statistically that the applications that take the longest to process mm. tend to be from people who are on humanitarian visas
2: mm.
6: because there could be complicated um, factors that uh, have to be taken into account there. Um,
3: I'd I'd, I'd also be, I'm not sure if if there's data out on this information that I'm going to ask next, but I'd be curious to know, is there a difference between the application processes of people from ethnic communities and those from, like, white majority countries?
6: Uh, Look, that's an interesting question. (laughs) I'm not in a position really to comment on that because Mm. uh, I don't work in the Immigration Department. Um, And I guess it does raise the question uh, within the community and at the grassroots level. Mm. If we look at last year um, as Mayor at the City of Whittlesey, I had the privilege of conferring citizenship to numerous people, hundreds of people uh, per month, so thousands throughout the year. And I did notice that um, many of the people who were coming through uh, and having their citizenship conferred were from India and Sri Lanka. And our statistics demonstrate that uh, many of the people that are coming and applying for citizenship are in particular from India. So we know that that's the largest and the fastest growing uh, uh, ethnic community group in to Australia. Mm. But then, see, we've got to remember, too, that there are different categories of migration, as we know, and visa holders. And as we said earlier, that uh, the people who are coming uh, from... Sorry, who uh, have got humanitarian um, visas, uh, that are... Well, they're taking the longest to process. Mm. Now, they're coming clearly from a whole range of different... um, Ethnic backgrounds
2: and mm. countries. Mm.
3: Yeah, It'd be interesting, especially with Australia's current obsession with border security, and mm. you know who, like we let who we want to come in, and we're not sure about their character. I wonder if that kind of, those kind of discussions, those inflammatory discussions, impact the waiting processes. That'd be, I'd be, I'd be interested to read more information on that. But because we're short on time, can is there? Like a number or like what is one thing that people can do if they're experiencing delays?
6: Oh, okay. Well, I guess before I get to that question, in terms of your first point to read more on it and get a lot more data and statistical profiles. So we know that the Commonwealth Ombudsman as well as the Refugee Council of Australia have both published their major reports Mm. on the issue of uh, processing of applications and the delays by the Mm. Department of Home Affairs. So I guess there's public documents out there. Um, The Auditor-General undertook an investigation as well and published a report titled The Efficiency of the Processing of Applications for Citizenship by Conferral. That was uh, earlier this month. Mm. And um, they did highlight that the... Department of Home Affairs is not processing applications in a time-efficient manner. Mm. So we know that that's out there. Uh, Now, how do we unpack that? Uh, I guess... I think it's important that we do get factual information Mm. and one of the things that we are asking for is that there is a lot more transparency so that we we can get a better understanding on the kinds of questions that you are raising Mm. and a lot more accountability too so that um, the bureaucratic processes within the department uh, are accountable and are transparent to the broader community. What can we do? Well, we can continue to ask for that and that's what the Ethnic Communities Council of Victoria is doing. We're also asking, uh, or we would like to see, that the Department of Home Affairs reintroduces a performance target uh, in terms of the length of time that is uh, required and the turnover in making a decision in conferring citizenship Mm -hmm. and regularly reporting on its performance in this space. And that will then for therefore make the DHA a lot more accountable. Uh, and we believe that's really important that that happens. And publishing more transparent statistics so that the kind of questions you're asking, mm. you were asking earlier in the interview, mm. can be um, addressed. So currently, there's, uh, the DHA only publishes the time periods within which 75% Of applications are
2: assessed
6: Mm. Uh, so you know we do need we need more information we're not getting all the information
3: Um, and when there's no information you know it it creates this like wall of secrecy and Mm -hmm. people can't help but make you know come to their own conclusions if the information isn't transparent
6: well, you know, you're right. And when you're on the other end or of the uh, spectrum where you're the applicant, uh, we've also got to think of the impact it's having on the individual and their family mm-hmm. and in their community. Uh, and we know that the data suggests very strongly at the grassroots level that uh, this is causing serious mental health issues for individuals and their families. Mm-hmm. It's leading to family break-up. Uh, in the community and um, I think we as a country have a real responsibility to address these issues Mm. in a serious manner.
3: Yeah I guess for me it's it's an issue that's close to my heart because a lot of family members and relatives have had to wait for a, a long time and you're right it does create stress on the family and and a lot of people don't realize that the mm. the mental toll that it takes the the you know waiting and hoping and then being rejected and then being told no this isn't the right form and then it it it's it's really stressful and I'm and I appreciate you coming in to sort of highlight that
6: well, thank you for the opportunity, you know, and as you just said, we need to be reminded constantly, I think, of the human face to these statistics, mm. so the actual human issues. It's very easy to hide beneath or between the, um, the text and the black and white, you know, the paper um, trail uh, and the reports, but it's not until we're confronted with the real issues as they impact real people mm. in our community, I think that that maybe then gives a very different uh, and true perspective to the issue and uh, our obligation and responsibility as uh, a successful, well, successful mm. as a, a nation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: Thank you so much, Chris. Oh, thank you. That was Chris Pavlidis from ethnic communities council of victoria she is the chairperson and we do appreciate her coming on and yeah just I, I'm, I'm so glad that she said we need to put a human face on it because a lot of the times it's just numbers and numbers really don't tell a story but when you hear um like personal stories about the struggles that people are going through and just the, like we said, the mental toll that it has on families and the potential to create breakdowns. Um, so we're going to go straight we were going to play a song but we don't have time so we're going to go straight to um, Hamil Ibrahim. Hamil Ibrahim is a black settler on Kula Nations um, whose writing is informed by her love and passion for the liberation and emancipation of black people across the globe. Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast, Hamil. Okay, I think we have Hamil on the line now. Hamil? Hi, Ayane. Oh, my God, girl. What a stressful day. Today has been, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I completely forgot we were on radio. I was about to just get into, hey, hey. I was (laughs) about to be like, hey, I'll buy you. Yeah, we were hilarious. about to speak Somali to each other. I love
9: it. I was going to try. You know,
3: <laughs> um, okay, so because we've got, like, a f- like four minutes, so I will get just get straight to the important questions. Um, one, uh, so Hoda, what is her case about?
9: Well, her case is about... Um, wanting to return back to her country of, you know, but which is the United States of America from um, Syria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a... Hello, you
3: Yep, there. yep, yep, I'm still here, yeah, sorry.
9: Um, yeah, she's a US-born um, mm. like, you know, Yemeni um, Muslim girl that was radicalized by ISIL, mm. or ISIS, and she moved to... Um, she went to join ISIS in twenty fourteen in Syria.
4: Yeah. When she
9: was ten years old. And currently right now she's asking um to return back to um, Alabama, which is where she was raised mm. from Syria.
3: Yeah. And there's been so much talk especially from Donald Trump and um those in other people in power saying, you know, she she consented, she's the one who left the safety and the privilege of her home in the US to go to ISIS to fight with an extremist group. But there was a New York Times article that came out that looked at mm. the condition that which she lived in and which other women have lived in, which is, you know, being locked up, being guarded. So these kind of conditions sound like human trafficking, but this case isn't being seen as that. Why do you think it should be seen?
9: Well, the case is not seen like that because, first of all, she's, you know, she's... Um a woman of colour who is Muslim and who got groomed and radicalised and was um, just, you know, like to in and, um, you know, being in um, radicalised, like being in, like, you know, um, hmm. doing ISO. And it's really hard for, um, I guess, the broader society in general to look at Hoda as a victim of, you know, radicalization and grooming. Hmm. And... And I'm saying this because we all know the situation or the dialogue around this would have been completely different had she been white. And the narrative that would have been pushed would have been, you know, there is like, you know, ISIS fighters grooming and, you know, um, uh, forcing young Muslim, like, you know, young white dogs to... Come to Syria, war-torn countries, etc., and have babies by them, and how it's really imperative for them to come back because that is like you know to fight against um, this ideology. But because she is, uh, you know, a brown Muslim girl, it's a different conversation, <sighs> and it's not being seen as trafficking, and it's up like you know we are refusing to see it as like as bad because of like you know structural, phobia and what that entails
3: hundred percent. And there's a gender element too. So the same New York Times article that I was talking about that we will share on our Tuesday breakfast pages mm. is that the, a lot of the men who went to go fight were allowed to come back, but a, a number of women haven't been allowed to come back. Why do you think that's the case? Gender
9: for example, mm. that's, that's one um, angle. And also another angle will probably be like... Um, I think a lot of, like, men that come back, they're probably seen as, uh, oh, what's the word? they're probably, like, most likely, like, just seen as, oh, they can be used for intelligence.
2: Mm. And
9: they can also aid in further, like, you know, the imperialist war that is currently, like, happening in Middle East and other countries. Mm. So they're seen as, like, potential um, allies in um, dismantling, like, organizations such as um, iso ISIS, and other um like that whereas for like you know the women Hmm. especially if they have babies and also the way gender homophobia is also set up and like special homophobia in general is well we are possible to see them as victims because there is no way that you know 15 14 16 year olds like brown Muslim girls who are um black and brown Muslim girls who are groomed that is um a and also b is they are not seen useful Mm. In this um, fight against ISIL and, like, pardon, like, you know, the so called
3: quote unquote war on terror. Mm. And finally, before we let you go, with everything that you've mentioned, why should Huda be allowed to um, return home?
9: She is a citizen. It's not ride. Right? I don't think there's like, any other argument that should be, like, you know, made mm. or should be asked to be made. Exactly. The fact that she is a citizen and the fact that she is. Um, um US born, she should be allowed to return. But I think right now what we are seeing under the Trump um administration is a government um making, you know, citizenship claims even more conditional for like, you know, brown and black folks and like and also like, you know, um non white people in general mm. because essentially like non white folks have never really fully entered the social contract of this, you know, nationalistic um racial regime. And further the language that is being utilized right now around this has been uh you know it's for like for the sake of this, um national security mm. we should not be allowing quote unquote you know terrorists to come back to our, you know, to our land because a there is probably going to be repercussions such as you know like endangering further American lives, but American lives is probably it's just like you know quoted word for white life uh, there's a, so much dynamic but gender and race. It doesn't at all. Yeah, there is.
3: And, 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 and thank you so much for um, yeah talking about that intersectionality. I think that's all we have for today. Thank you for joining us, Hamil. Thank you so much for
0: having me.
5: You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent
0: community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.